0: Hello, I am Will Detmering, and this is the History of Technology Podcast. In order to keep each segment interesting, I will commit the sin of omission and generalization at times, and I will attempt not to stray too far afield from the topic. Finally, you the listener can make comments, suggestions, and requests about the podcast through the website. Hello, this is Will Detmering, and today's topic is a favorite of mine. It's the uh, Brief History of Programming and Coding, Part 1. I don't know how many parts this is going to take, but as soon as we get to the 70s, wow, there's a lot of information we have to go through. But I will start, as many of my past listeners know, from the wisdom of the ancients. I have broken down uh, some of the types of programming and coding to operating systems, languages, the three big business applications, which are word processing, spreadsheets, and databases. Today we will end just prior to the 1970s and the birth of personal computing. We start in ancient Greece, about 350 B.C., yep, over 2,300 years ago. Aristotle was considered the first logician to attempt a systematic analysis of logical syntax. He would put his ideas into a term, or oros, and he would talk about a subject. He contends that a deduction is argument. The structure guarantees its validity, irrespective of the truth or falsity of its premises. Now, there are problems with this, but at least he was the first to address having language that would make a logical sense and come to a logical conclusion. This holds intuitively for the following structure. All A's are B's, all B's are C's, hence all A's are C's. The creation and use of the structure in order to reach a valid conclusion gave birth to what we know as syntax. Aristotle ran into problems when arguments with premises that may at first glance seem to be acceptable, but which upon a moment's reflection, we immediately realize we don't actually accept. Consider the following example from Aristotle's time. Whatever you have not lost, you still have. You still have not lost horns. Therefore, you still have horns. However, if you're constrained to a formal syntax such as if and then statements, one would decrease the risk of unacceptable premises. If you have not lost horns, doesn't necessarily mean that you have horns. So if then on each of these statements would probably clarify things on the argument. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole thing on on logic and if-then statements and so on, but logic in syntax has a lot to do with the start of scientific thinking. It's crucial that we have this idea of having a premise and then trying to prove that premise. Now, most of the time, the ancient Greeks were trying to do it, orally. Aristotle started us on a path to bring logical ideas within a framework of language that produced outcomes, a way to determine whether a statement or thought or idea or hypothesis, whatever you want to use, is likely to be true or false. Hey, look at that, both binary and Boolean. I know some may argue that there were these Chinese philosophers that preceded the Greeks, but... However, in my investigations, I can see a direct correlation between Aristotle's syntax, arguments, and structure to 20th century programming. I'm going to blow past Pythagoras, Da Vinci, of course, you know, Occam before that, and Newton, because even though there were contributions and they were great, they are not as directly associated with computer programming. I'm also bypassing the progress of mathematics in the Middle East and, and Far East. So please don't uh, contact me and say, guess what you forgot. Now let's jump to the 19th century. Now I know we're going, you know, a couple thousand years <laughs> For historical perspective, the following events were occurring while the first computer program was being written. Thomas Jefferson defeated John Adams in the presidential election. There was the Louisiana Purchase. Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo and was exiled to Saint Helena. Antarctica was discovered. So there are a lot of things. The, the first telegraph line between Baltimore and Washington. The Mexican-American War. It gave us all those territories and, and so on. So you have an idea of about the time that this guy Charles Babbage who was a relatively famous mathematician and inventor in the 1800s. Well, this, this guy set out to build a machine that was capable of doing a variety of mathematical calculations correctly every time, and thus eliminating the inherent errors that us humans do when we make calculations by hand. Babbage's earliest computers, were called engines as he named them, did not run on electricity. Rather, they were entirely mechanical or steam. And most of these things were just in the drawing stages, but he did have a good idea. Now, I know I'm getting a little bit off subject, but I will deal with computers and the birth of them in another podcast. But this information on computer development is integral to our subject today. Babbage began designing much more than complex machines, which he called the analytical engine. The analytical engine, unlike the Earlier experiments and engines that he had could be programmed using punch cards, very similar to how early electrical computers were programmed. Uh, The suggestion for using punch cards for programming the analytical engine most likely came from a fellow mathematician, Ada Lovelace, a fine woman. I mean this woman, if you have time, go ahead and read up on her. She is fantastic. But, you guessed it, Ada Lovelace was Lovelace was the world's first computer programmer, writing the world's first computer program in 1842. Yeah, a woman was the first programmer. How is that for all the technology accomplishments made by the fairer sex? I mean, there are quite a few of them. It's noteworthy to mention Lovelace was the only legitimate daughter of Lord Byron. Although she never knew her father, uh, Lovelace was initially taught mathematics, something that was very rare in the 1800s, but her mother really wanted her to do that. Ada Lovelace was nicknamed by Babbage as the Enchantress of Numbers, and Ada Lovelace was impressed by Babbage's engine designs. She was first introduced to it in 1842 and 1843 when she translated an article by Italian mathematician Luigi Mambera. Ada supplemented the article with notes of her own. And believe me, <laughs> the notes were a lot longer than the article itself. In these added notes, she included the world's first computer program that would use the machine to calculate a sequence of Bernoulli numbers. It has since been demonstrated to be valid algorithm, and that it would run correctly. I mean, fantastic! She had this thing would create valid algorithms. I mean, it's in the mid 1800s. Interestingly, she was one of the first to see that this computer Babbage design could someday be used for more than just crunching numbers, such as to be used for music and uh, other non-mathematical purposes. Sadly, uh, Ada's story ends in November 27th, 1852. She, she died at a very young age of 36 years old, a mere nine years or so after writing her uh, computer program. But let's leave the 19th century and blast into the 20th century. I'll begin in uh, 1937. Princeton, working on his Ph.D. thesis, Alan Turing built a digital Boolean logic computer from scratch, making his own electromechanical relays. Again, I will not be getting into too much of uh, detail about Turing now, but much like Babbage, but it too will be expanded in, uh, in another podcast. All right, from that invention, European researchers were reducing the newfangled electronic computer to a computer-like theoretical object, which they also called the Turing machine. This theoretical Turing machine was widely studied for its future applications and benefits that it could bring to mankind. Great works were advanced in in Germany, but the World War paused all non-military studies of computing machines. Some advances were made to apply to supplement artillery firing, uh, aeronautical design, relay encrypted messages, and record keeping for the armed forces. But in the post-war era, the LEO-1, which is the Lions Electronic Office, was the first computer used for commercial business applications. LEO was the first operating system It ran its first business application in 1951. Users of LEO computers programmed in two coding languages, Intercode, which was a low-level assembler type language, and Clio, the acronym Clear Language for Expressing Orders, the COBOL equivalent. In America, a company called International Business Machines is Positioning itself to be the pioneer of mainframe computers operating systems and personal computing IBM as described in its uh, formation in merger of three major companies the tabulating machine company Which uh, started in Washington DC late 1800s the international time recording company? Which was founded in 1900 in uh, Endicott and the computing scale company? just founded a year after that in Dayton Ohio and this merger became known as the computer tabulating recording company or CTR. On February 14th 1924 CTR's name was formally changed to the International Business Machines Corporation or IBM to more accurately uh, reflect the company's aspirations and mission as we call it, Big Blue's IBM name was actually first used by its Canadian subsidiary in 1917, but they thought, hey, this is uh, the name we should use. IBM's first uh, operating systems for their computers were written actually by their customers, a majority of them at least. These businesses did not wish to have their very expensive machines, which were, you know, sometimes too two million dollars in the mid-1950s sitting idle while operators set jobs manually so they wanted a mechanism for maintaining queue of jobs. In 1955 General Motors created GMOS, General Motors operating system, for the IBM 701 computer. Now this program would let you put some things into queue, and then they could have a bunch of things that would go sequentially through the computer. Arguably, the operating system which IBM supplied to its customers for use in the early mainframes have seldom become very innovative, except for the virtual machine uh, systems beginning with the CP67, but the company's well-known reputation for selling only proven technology was generally given potential users the confidence to adopt new IBM systems fairly quickly. So, It was a more of a trust issue than an uh, innovation issue that got most of its customers uh, coming back to them. The most used operating system during this time was IBM's OS 360. Well, other operating systems of the 1960s were, in you know, 1960 was uh, Ibisys, which is IBM for its 7090 and 7094 machine, and 61 was CTSS, that's MIT's compatible time-sharing system for the IBM 7094, and MCP, which is the Burroughs Master Control Program, Um in 1962, the Atlas Supervisor by Manchester University, the Atlas computer was also commissioned um, to be built by IBM for that. G-COS, which is General Electric's General Comprehensive Operating System, it was originally called G-E-COS for General Electric Comprehensive Operating Supervisor. In 1963, the ANFSQ-32 was another early timesharing sharing System the Titan Supervisor was again another one in '64 the KDF9 time-sharing Director which is from English Electric uh, it was an early fully hardware secured fully preemptive process switching multi programming system for the KDF9 and it was originally announced in 1960 but really didn't. Uh, become used until 64. The Berkeley Timeshare system um, was for the SDS 940, the Dartmouth Timesharing System was for GE computers, the OS 360 which we talked about before was primarily for its S360 series computers, and Scope which uh, used the CDC machines, the 3000 machines. So we can see that a lot of these things were very machine specific, the exact 8 for UNIVAC. Um, 1965, we had the multi programming system, which was the uh, Technische Hochschule Einhoven, and that's the place in Europe. The Multics, which is MIT's GE Bell Labs for the GE 6, 645. A bunch of things for operating systems that were BOSS, TOSS, and T and things like that. Uh, In 1966, again, the same thing, the OS 360 had been shipped uh, with all the 360 uh, computers. The MS-8, uh, which is Richard Larry's DEC or DEC computer PDC-8 system, um, that's going to be pretty significant when we get into another broadcast. Of course, there is the MTS, which is the Michigan Terminal System, which is the time sharing system for the IBM and its successors uh, after that the ITS which is MIT's incompatible time sharing system TS360 TS360 MTV waits which was uh, from Stanford in 1968 there was an airline control program ACP uh, for IBM the multi-programming system again in Eindhoven University of Technology the TSS8 1968 was 10x was used for later unix and AT&T but it was initially on the DEC or DEC computers RC4000 and uh, Multics which is the G- MIT created for GE Bell Labs for the Huntingwell 6180 actually was open for paying customers in October 7th of that year but as I have gone through all this stuff, uh, as you have guessed, the operating systems were very machine specific therefore there was no dominant operating system in the 1960s also computers were mostly used by businesses and schools of higher learning in the, I mean they were expensive, they were talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions And they also took up, you know, rooms, and you had to have cooling systems, and I mean, these things were very expensive and expensive to run. But in the 1970s, more companies started crowding the business computing market, and the sales started to level off, even though they were, you know, pretty expensive, and they were coming down in price, but everybody had their computer already, uh, with very few institutions were willing to shell out more dollars for expensive equipment just because it was new, because we're going to end it right there because in the second part we're going to discuss the 70s and to hopefully the present but I don't know if we're going to make it. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that's going on in these next decades and I hope you enjoy that podcast but if you'd like to know more about the IT integration work I do go ahead and visit my website at Detworks.net. that's d-e-t-t net. And this website you can explore more about uh, some of these other people like Babbage, Ada Lovelace on this other pages. We've got links for it. I hope you enjoyed this. This is the premiere podcast of our series and this is only series 1. I hope you enjoyed it and have a good day. I hope to have the part 2 next week.